Good evening. Shall we try that again? Good evening. <laughs> Tim's already told me he's sitting on the back row over there so he can creep out if he gets bored. There's <laughs> nothing like encouragement. It's like those people this morning who said, uh, oh, I see on the, on the sheet that you're preaching tonight. Won't be there. <laughs> but thank you for coming. <laughs> it's good to see you. We're uh, continuing tonight um, from uh, we're doing a little series on the uh, letter of Paul to the Galatians. And uh, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've uh, just done the first half of the uh, first chapter, and I'm going to carry on with the second half of the first chapter. So I'm going to read from uh, verse 11, chapter uh, 1, verse 11, uh, to verse 24, to the end of the chapter. So Paul's writing to those uh, Christians in Galatia. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, rather I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Father God, we thank you that this, these words are not dry words of written some 2,000 years ago, but Lord, are the words of life. And Father, we pray, thank you for your word and we pray tonight that you might speak it into our hearts, into our lives. Come by your spirit, we pray. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Once upon a time, there was a man who walked into a little corner shop and said, Do you sell salt? Ha, said the shopkeeper. Do we sell salt? Just look. And he took him down the aisle and showed him one entire wall of shelves with nothing but salt. Sea salt, rock salt, garlic salt, seasoning salt, every sort of salt you could imagine. Wow, said the customer. You think that's something, said the shopkeeper. 
come with me. And he led him to the back stockroom with shelves, bins, and cartons, and barrels, and boxes of salt. Do we sell salt? he said. Unbelievable, said the customer. You think that's something, said the shopkeeper. Come with me. And he led the customer down some steps into this huge basement, which is about five times the size of the previous room, and it was filled wall to wall, floor to ceiling, with every imaginable form of size and shape of sort. Incredible, said the customer. You really do sell sort. No, said the shopkeeper. That's just the problem. We never sell salt. But that wholesaler, oh boy, does he sell salt. <laughs> Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth. But the salt that stays on the shelf doesn't do any good. Jesus wants us to be people who influence the world who speak into a world that's crying out for love and salvation. He wants us to make a difference. He wants us to be a people who speak with authority so that people will hear and listen and respond. But the big question that we all face is, how does that happen? How can we, as God's people, have a real influence on those around us? How can we be people who gain a hearing among all the voices clamoring to be heard in our modern society? How can we be heard, especially when there are so many voices that seem to attack us, attack the church, attack the very heart of our faith? That was the question that Paul had as he writes to the Galatian church. You may have read it. If you haven't read the uh, this letter, then it's always good to read these things uh, in one go. So we only often read little snippets, don't we? But actually, to get the flavour of what's happening here, you have to read the whole thing in one go. Paul writes what is a, a very angry and a very passionate letter to the Galatian Christians. He is deeply concerned that they are losing their way, that they are getting themselves tied up with things that pervert the gospel and will render the church ineffective. We find that some in leadership have led them to believe that to be a Christian, you had to continue to follow all the Jewish traditions and all the practices that they had. And by doing so, they had sought to discredit Paul and question all that he had taught them. Not only was Paul under attack, but more importantly, he knew that the very heart of the gospel of Jesus was under attack. How was Paul to gain a hearing then? How was he to influence these Galatian Christians and pull them back onto the right road? How was he to speak in a way that people might not just listen, but also respond? Perhaps some of the questions that we have. And I think as we read these, uh, these words of Paul, the, the verses that I read, there are some things that we can perhaps draw out that would help us as we seek to be that salt and light that we are called to be, that we might be people who can influence and speak to the world around us. Here is Paul with his back to the wall, 
What does he do? The first thing he does in these verses, he responds by not telling the story of the church, but telling the story of his own personal faith in Jesus and how he came to it. The first lesson that we perhaps might draw from this is for us to be effective, influential Christians, we must be people who have a personal faith. He says, he said, I didn't receive this from any other man. I received it by revelation from Jesus himself. Now we might think that this is, this is boasting in a way. But actually, it's true for all of us. Think back to the time when Peter first declares Jesus to be the Messiah. Jesus responds to him and says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. All of us, Paul included, come to faith by the work of God, the work of the Spirit in our lives. But for us, as it was for Paul, this must be a personal coming. As he tells his story here, in these uh, 14, 14 verses, Paul says, I, 18 times. You don't have to count them, I counted them for you, all right? 18 times he says I, four times he says me, three times he says my. This is not about somebody else, this is about Paul and his meeting with Jesus. This is unmistakably about him and about his faith and his passion for Jesus and his commitment to the good news of the gospel. God set me apart, he said, called me by his grace, revealed his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This is personal. This is real to him. We're always fascinated, aren't we, to hear the stories uh, and read about the lives of of Christians down the ages. I've, I've got literally bookcases full of them. Some of them I've read, some of them I haven't. (laughs) But that's another story. And we've probably had the privilege down the years, many of us, to listen to to great pastors and teachers and leaders, and we've no doubt met so many wonderful Christian people who have impacted and influenced our lives. Some of them might have been family members, parents, grandparents, some might be friends, and that's all great. But ultimately, ultimately, There has to be a moment when we realise it has to be about my faith, about my walk with God, about my walk with Jesus. A realisation it can't be about other people. It can't be a borrowed faith. It must be personal. We have to connect with Jesus. We must come to him personally. The first thing that Paul does when he sets out his challenge to these Galatian Christians was to tell them a very, very personal story of his meeting with Jesus. There's another uh, old story, probably an old, old story, this one, about a time when a crowd gathered to watch a tightrope walker perform at Niagara Falls. And he'd rig up this wire from one side of Niagara Falls to the other. And... uh, And he was wowing the crowd by riding his bicycle across the wire and back, across the wire and back. And they were just incredible. Back and forth he went so many many times and they got all the more excited. And he said to them, well, if I can do this, do you believe that I can uh, do it holding 
a suitcase and an umbrella. And they said, yeah, we believe you can do that. You go for it. Go on, do it. So off he goes. Pretty impressive, going across on his bike with his suitcase in one hand and his umbrella in the other, and he goes back and forth across the wire. Then he picked up his violin and he said, do you think I could ride my bike whilst playing my violin as I cross the wire? And they said, yeah, we believe you can do that. We believe, you know, we've seen what you can do. We believe, go for it. And off he went, incredible music as he went across, playing his violin, riding his bike across the thing. They were so excited. Finally, the, the tightrope walker picked up a chair and he said, now I've got one more question. Do you believe I can put somebody in this chair and balance them on my bike and ride across the falls and back? And they said, yeah, we believe you can do that. So he said, can I have a volunteer? <laughs> Sometimes it's all right to stand on the sidelines and cheer and say, yeah. But Jesus calls us to get in the chair to make that step of faith and say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. A time when we can't just be parts shouting from the sidelines and we have to make the decision for ourselves. Paul tells this very personal story of putting his faith in Jesus. And that's where he began. But there's more to it than that. Paul tells us that following his this incredible meeting with Jesus on the Damascus Road, he says that after that, shortly after that, I went off to Arabia. Now we know from Acts 9 that after his initial sort of meeting in the church in Damascus, he then, uh, from where he had to escape, he then went out a brief time in Jerusalem, where, which ended similarly. He then disappears from the story. If you read um, Acts chapter 9, he then disappears. And he doesn't reappear again until Acts chapter 13. Clearly, this is the time away in Arabia. This was a time that was crucial for this great man of faith to nurture his faith. He didn't become this great man of faith overnight. It had to be nurtured. It had to be encouraged. I've uh, told the story often uh, of a few years ago when I was in, in church on a Sunday morning, a Saturday morning, sorry. And there were a few people in the church and they were getting things ready for Sunday. And when I'd done what I needed to do, I, as I went to left, leave, I said to one of the guys, um, just got to go back, got to go back and uh, finish preparing my talk for tomorrow. And he looked at me with a somewhat puzzled expression and said, uh, prepare. So I said, yeah. And so in the course of the conversation I had with him, he genuinely believed that on a Sunday morning, when the speaker got up to speak, the Holy Spirit came and just gave it all to them. Now, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that save some time, Phil? <laughs> but it don't happen like that. I have to say, and there have been times when it has happened on the odd occasion, but it's not the norm. There has to be preparation. A sermon has to be nurtured, <laughs> studied and and thought about, and prayed through. And it's the same with our Christian lives. You don't become a Christian and zap, you're immediately a great person of faith. 
It has to be nurtured. It has to be encouraged. You have to think it through. You have to study. You have to pray it through. Talk it through. Not only does our faith have to be personal, it has to be nurtured. This time in Arabia was a time to think and pray, reflect and learn for Paul. If his faith was in Jesus was to grow, he had to spend time in Jesus. It would have been so easy for him to have got caught up in the maelstrom of, of the busyness of church life. And you know, we all know about that, don't we? But he needed to spend this time. Perhaps this is a, a timely reminder. You may or may not know that uh, this week Lent starts. Ash Wednesday or Wednesday, I know, I know that. Not because I'm hooked into the uh, liturgical calendar, because I know Tuesday's pancake day and I love pancakes. <laughs> I'm interested to realise that uh, this year, it's really interesting, this year Ash Wednesday falls on the same day as Valentine's Day, doesn't it? Uh, perhaps apt to begin our preparation for Easter as we think about that great act of love on the cross. And Easter Sunday falls on April Fool's Day. We can have some fun with that. And I was thinking, I'm 30, 33 years nearly, I've been ordained, and I think, I, I can't remember that happening before. So I had a little bit of research. It's not happened since 1945. So it's a bit before my time. Yeah. Anyway, that's... a. Anyway, historically, Lent is about that time of preparation, about taking time to, uh, for our walk with God. Sometimes people do that. They talk about giving things up for Lent, don't they? Um, it's interesting that popular culture have caught up with this idea of giving things up. Hence, we have dry January, if anybody did that. But giving things up for Lent isn't supposed to be about going without something we might like, like alcohol or chocolate or wherever. It's about giving something up so that we can make space for God. Maybe even giving something up that's become a bad habit that's got in our way of our relationship with God. It's not just about giving stuff up. One of the most uh, interesting uh, Lent times I had was when I was at theological college. And at the beginning of one Lent, we were all given a six-inch nail and asked to carry it with us through Lent. Uh, I decided to carry it in my pocket. And on numerous times when I put my hand in my pocket, I just caught this flipping nail. But every time it did that, it reminded me of the suffering of Jesus and he encouraged me to pray for those who were hurting. More than once, it caused a hole in my pocket and I had to get out the needle and thread and sew the flipping thing up. But when I did that, it helped me to think and pray about those things in my life that I needed God to renew or repair. A couple of times while searching for change in a shop, out come this nail and the people would look at me and say, what are you doing with that? And it would give me the opportunity to say... But Lent is a time when we can just make that extra space for God in our busy lives. More time to, to pray, more time to read our Bibles, more time to nurture and encourage our faith and maybe the faith of those around us. Doesn't Jesus say, he says about, I am the vine, you are the branches. And trees need nurturing from time to time. Branches need pruning back. And we need to spend time with Jesus to let him do that. 
Now, we may not have three years like Paul had in Arabia, but we could put aside some extra time in these next seven weeks as we lead up to Easter. So Paul, in his uh, putting his case before the Galatian church, talks about his personal life, talks about the need to nurture that personal faith. But he also then tells them about how that, that life and that faith that he has nurtured has transformed his life. Because actually we need to show the world that our faith makes a difference in our lives. Paul's life had changed. He was a zealous persecutor of the church, a very religious man whose fanaticism had led him to kill Christians or chase Christians wherever he found them. But then God got hold of his life and the people noticed the difference. Verse 23 says, They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Wouldn't that be a great thing to have on your CV? They praised God because of me. Even now, maybe on your tombstone. They praised God because of me. I'd be happy with that. Many of those early Christians would have needed some persuading about Paul. They would have heard about him and the way, as he says himself, he zealously persecuted their brothers and sisters. For people to change their mind, it would have... It would have to have been real. They would have had to have seen in Paul that real change in him. And it's the same for us. If we are really to influence the world, people must see that our, our faith makes a real difference in the way we live our lives. Some of you who uh, know me know that uh, I am a, a, a football fan. And uh, in the last few weeks, we've lost two men two footballers, Cyril Regis and Jimmy Armfield. And it's been really interesting to hear people talk about them. Much has been said and written not just about their footballing ability, but about their character, about the men that they were. And it's no coincidence that both of them were Christians. I actually had the uh, privilege of meeting Cyril Regis only about a year ago, meeting him, talking to him. He was at a, uh, a men's breakfast and he shared his faith about uh, how he came to faith and uh, how it changed his life. As we hear from the things that people have said since he died, people noticed that he was different. The same with uh, uh, Jimmy Arnfield, a man of a different generation. Those of us who are slightly older will remember him. My dad told me about him. <laughs> but none of this, we hear the same story. The BBC tribute, they, uh, they wrote, uh, people making their way to the Armfield stand named a decade ago to honour their club hero remembered a humble man. He never spoke about himself. He was genuinely interested in you, said one supporter. A former player said, that Armfield, whose boots he used to clean, was, first to, was the first to call him when he had been diagnosed with cancer. He said, actually, he wanted to speak to my wife. This was after he first had had cancer, so he could tell her what the family could expect. This was typical of the man. 
Someone else wrote, This humble, generous and kind gentleman moved easily between the world of the church and the world of football and served God in any way he could. People noticed the difference in these men. Our faith has to make a difference and a difference that people notice. We live in a world where people are looking for truth, looking for some sense of the way forward. And what it is, what an opportunity we have to show the faith in Jesus makes a real difference in our lives. Again, another story about a Christian who was in a hurry to catch a train. In his hurry, he bumped into a small boy with a puzzle in his hand, and all the puzzle pieces ended up scattered all over the pavement. But instead of rushing on, the man stooped down and helped the boy pick up his puzzle pieces as the train moved out the station. After he finished, the boy looked up into the man's face and said, Mr. Are you Jesus? Oh, that people would mistake us for Jesus. And that can happen when we allow God to transform our lives so that that compassion, the character of Jesus, shines through. Paul could speak to the Galatian church with the authority of a changed life, a difference that people noticed and praised God for. Finally, the other thing, that shines through in this passage is that what was happening in the Galatian church mattered to Paul. Not only does our faith need to be personal, not only does it need to be nurtured, not only does it need to make a difference in our lives, but it also really needs to matter. Paul, as you read this letter, uses some really strong words And you can hear his passion, even his anger, that people were being led away from the truth of the gospel. Throughout his ministry, Paul finds himself regularly having to defend the gospel. And he begins these verses. I want you to know, he says, I want you to know, this really matters. Not, I'd like you to know, or you might be interested to know, or, you know, On a good day, you might be interested to think about this. He says, I want you to know. The words here that he uses that we translate from the Greek are really powerful, strong words. This really mattered. He could easily have given up, given these Galatian Christians up. I've got other things to do. I've got... Now the church in Thessalonica is causing me some issues and Corinth, they've got some things I've perhaps hold to go and sort them out or, or I want to go to Philippi because they're, they're doing all right there. And he could have said, oh, I'm too busy for Galatia. But he doesn't. He doesn't give up on these Galatian Christians. It matters to him. He could have said to them, well, if you're foolish, foolish enough to believe this rubbish, then on your heads be it. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He says, this matters. He doesn't stop contending for the gospel. He doesn't stop seeking people for the kingdom. If people are to listen, they need to know it matters to us. Maybe there is someone here tonight who perhaps has never quite ever made it personal 
with Jesus. Perhaps you've been going along with the crowd or sitting on the edge looking in. Never taking that step of faith to go and sit in that seat. Maybe there are those of us who need to spend time nurturing our faith. Need to spend some time with God. Maybe this Lent time is a good time to do that. Maybe there are some of us who know that we need to allow the Spirit to renew us and transform us in a new way. Jesus came to set us free from all the rubbish that stops us from being the people that God wants us to be. The people would see the difference. And maybe there's some of us where there are situations or even people that we need to be encouraged to keep contending for. Maybe people that we've been tempted to give up on. Things or situations that we've been tempted to give up on. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to make it matter again. To make them matter again. That we might be the, the people who, who are that salt and light in our world. The salt not on the shelf, but making a difference. That is heard. Who influences and brings the gospel, the good news of Jesus to our world. Let's pray. Father, we 